and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. The last year has made us very aware of culture change. The things that we value, the things that we hold on to, perhaps even the things that we believe in have been challenged. I wonder over your lifetime, what changes in culture you've experienced? What changes in the world that you live in? I was with a group of people yesterday where we were exploring the different ways and things that different people had experienced from the 30 and 40 year olds there to the 80 and 90 year olds. One of the most memorable was the difference in milk delivery. There were people in our group, and maybe you remember this, when actually milk was delivered by a horse and cart, and a churn even at the back, where you would go out and get your milk, and there would be people running afterwards with buckets to collect the manure for their gardens. Or maybe the milkman the bottles of milk, and perhaps we're returning to the need for glass rather than packets, packages. But do you remember milk at school in those little bottles where the milk could be frozen or could be warm because it was left next door to the radiator? Ugh. And now milk that perhaps isn't paying our farmers exactly what they deserve and yet is so easy. And then in our supermarkets and shops, milk that is called milk, that might have been made from coconuts or from all sorts of other things. What we value and what we hold on to, what we accept as truth has changed from generation to generation. It hasn't just changed in our lifetime, though perhaps in the last 100 or 1,000 years it has changed very, very quickly. But actually down through the ages, culture has changed. In the Old Testament, we see people's understanding of life, of God, of the way that they should be as a community changing in Jesus. Even in Roman times, we see a change of culture that the Greeks and then the Romans were endeavouring to impose on the people of their land. More recently, if you count the Middle Ages more recently, we've seen an understanding of church and God that has changed. In the Middle Ages, it was pretty true to say that virtually everybody believed in God in some way. They might not believe in a Christian God, but they believed that there was a deity. 
And within Europe, perhaps they did believe in a Christian God. And then we move into a time that we might call the Enlightenment, where people begin to read more, be educated more, and learn, most of all, to question, to question authority, to question what other people are saying. And so doubt creeps in, some healthy doubt, some unhealthy doubt. And moving into modernism, where actually the word atheism begins to happen in the 19th and 20th century. And so through postmodernism, perhaps to today, when strangely, we live in a world where many would say, you can believe whatever you like, and I'm happy for that because I believe what I believe. And we can both believe those things, even though they completely contradict one another. I wonder what you believe. I wonder how you know what to believe and how to feel. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, as Ruth read to us, was speaking to people who came from the Greek-Roman world. But he was also speaking to people who had grown up within the Jewish tradition. And he speaks to them about the power and the wisdom of God. For the Jewish tradition, there was an understanding that God was a God of signs and wonders and that God showed God's power through signs and wonders. We see that even in the passage from John where the Jews say to him, give us a sign to prove what you're saying. But that was part of their culture. Prove it to us, God. For the Greeks, their culture was much more something that we call Gnosticism. They believed in knowledge. They believed in wisdom and understanding. And they believed most of all in the way of debating that, being able to be somebody who was really, really good at debating. Paul comes into that place and challenges that. Paul says that Jesus is a challenge to that. Not just Jesus, but Jesus, God on the cross. God on the cross is both foolish and unpowerful. And yet, Paul says that in the cross, God is at his most wise and his most powerful. This is the sign and this is the powerful debate. This wasn't something new to Paul. The Jews and the Christians within it in Rome were teased for being the foolish people who put a donkey on a cross. If you Google Roman graffiti 
I've brought it with me, but I've left it on the side, so it doesn't matter. But if you Google Roman graffiti, you'll find a picture of Jesus on the cross with a donkey's head where people were bullying a young Christian because he worshipped a foolish God. From the minute that Jesus changes and challenges the culture, Jesus reminds the people, and this isn't anything new, that to be a follower of God is to be countercultural, to stand out, to be different, perhaps to use the language of wisdom and power, but to show it differently. That was true for Moses in giving the Ten Commandments. When God spoke and gave him those. Fascinating, isn't it? That when Moses went to Egypt, or when Abraham was called out of Ur, God didn't start with, these are the rules you must obey by. God didn't say, first and foremost, you have these rules, and then you can see whether you're my people. First and foremost, the God of our ancestors, the God of Jesus, Jesus, calls us first and foremost, not into a culture of rules, but a culture of relationship, which is seen on the cross. There was a relationship with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will be your God. And then as Moses and God draw them out of Egypt, they build that relationship. Moses and the people make mistakes, but they have learned to trust. And as they settle by the mountain of Sinai, there is already a relationship between them. And at that point, God begins to reveal God's name. He has revealed his name to Moses, but he now reveals his name, Yahweh, I am, to the people. And already with their trust, already with a God who says, I will be your God and you will be my people, God begins to set the boundaries. But those boundaries aren't really about rules. What the Jewish people by Jesus' time had done was try to interpret them as more and more and more rules. Each little commandment was expanded into an explanation of what do we actually mean by it and the rules became more and more complicated. But Jesus challenges us to go back to those rules, those laws, those commandments and recognise that they are all about relationship. 
You remember that when asked to sum up the law, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul. We've said it this morning as part of our confession and love your neighbor as yourself. And as you go through these 10 commandments, actually what they do first and foremost is say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and don't have any other gods, have this God. But not because it is a God, but because God says, I am your God and you are my people, a relationship. And then all of the others are about relationships with people, making sure that actually your slaves and you have a good relationship with work, that you don't overwork. Those who know me well know that God's challenging me about that at the moment. But that actually we also have good relationship with possessions and with others around us. It's as we begin to understand this that we can then look at Jesus coming into the temple. Why were there people selling sheep and goats and lambs and doves? What was going on here? This was not people abusing God. These were people who truly believed that buying the right sheep, they were blessing God. These were people who were holy people, who had saved up all their money so that they could change their money and get the right perfect money that was temple money so that they could worship God. But in doing that, not only were they making the law more and more and more complicated, but what they were doing was preventing others from worshipping God. You might be surprised that we've got this reading today, because surely this is the reading we have on Palm Sunday, which is a couple of weeks' time. But in John's Gospel, this is in chapter 2. All that has happened before this is the wedding and Cana. In John's Gospel, we hear very clearly that this is the foundation of Jesus' ministry. That actually your relationship and mine with God is first and foremost. But not just our relationship with God but whether we allow others to come into God's presence. Jesus is challenging the culture of the religious ceremonies. He's, they are so caught up in how they do it that they've forgotten what they are doing and why they are doing it. Jesus challenges them and says that this is a house of prayer. In doing that, he also enables that outer area 
where people who are not already part of the community, the Gentiles, can come and worship. He also allows women to come into that space and challenges them to mean that outsiders can come into their worshipping community. Which brings me and you to today. The last year has stripped back what we can do and perhaps has helped us to begin to see what we really value. We haven't had Jesus come in and shout and create a whip and knock all the chairs and pews and everything out of the way. But we've had to move them. What have you noticed in the last year that you value? That God has revealed to you? For me, it's been people, relationships, choice. There have been things that I very definitely missed in my life and in my worship. We've been strict, stripped back to what we can do. Can we imagine Jesus this Lent, questioning why we do what we do? Are we loving each other and helping each other come closer to God? by what we do? Or have we misunderstood and gone our own way? Does anything that we do make what God has asked us to do more complicated than it needs to be? Prevent others from praying. Prevent outsiders from joining us. Perhaps we don't have animals or money changers, but do we have those things that prevent others from being part of God's family? Or perhaps like the people of Corinth, we've got caught up in the current culture and we've forgotten that the cross is countercultural, that this isn't about having the right answer being able to debate, being able to show signs. But it's about a God who was willing to create and develop a relationship with you and me by becoming human and dying on a cross to show us not necessarily just that we're sinful, but that that God wants a relationship with you and me and the world that we live in. God, creator, Christ and Holy Spirit wants not rules, not liturgies, not even perhaps a complicated communion service. God wants longs for, first and foremost, a relationship with you and me. It's not that we can't have those other things. It's how we use them and how we enable them to help us and others 
see God as the God who loves us. This Lent, as we prepare for Easter, may God open our eyes to see how we can build that relationship and live our lives by the values that God calls us to live by. Amen.